If you would join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. Luke, chapter 2. Familiar passage this time of year. I want to read verses 8 through 12 this morning. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 12. One of my fondest memories of Christmas is on Christmas morning, my dad would, before we'd open presents, he would open up to this passage, Luke 2, and my sister, my older sister, myself, and my younger brother, we'd sit there on the floor and pop-ops, as my kids call them, would sit there and read this account of the Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. Verses 8 through 12. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. Now, I'm just going to assume that most everyone in this room would call yourself a Christian. Just by looking around the room, I'm pretty sure most everyone in here would say yes. I'm a Christian. You get your name from Christ. You're named after Christ. Why does that matter? Does it matter? Does it matter that you, as a Christian, understand the meaning or the importance of this baby who's lying in a manger that he's called Christ? I think it does matter. I think it matters for multiple reasons. And I think it matters because as a Christian, your life mission is to invite others to become Christians, to be named after this same Christ. So it seems to me that it matters that you and I understand the importance of this baby being called Christ. I think it matters because moms and dads, many of you here this morning, you're doing everything you can to raise your children to know about Christ. You're praying for them like crazy that they would come to know Christ. So I think it matters that you understand the importance of this baby being called Christ. Some of you, I think it matters because you are choosing to marry someone who calls themselves a Christian, who's named after this same Christ. So I think it matters. I think it matters for us as a collection, a network, a family of house churches, because we are sending people across the globe. We just sent the Klotz family, Steve, Mary, and Jason, to, to Papua New Guinea, right? Why? To invite other people to follow Christ. I think it matters then that they understand and that we understand, the people who are sending them, the importance of this baby being called Christ. I think it matters because as 
a family of house churches. We are training house church pastors, and we are starting new house churches in neighborhoods in the city for the purpose of inviting neighbors and others to know this Christ. So I think it's important that we understand the, the meaning behind this baby lying in the manger and that he's the Christ. And if you are a Christian, it definitely matters because your worth, your value, your significance as a Christian is wrapped up in the very meaning that this baby lying in a manger wrapped in claws is Christ. So it matters. It matters to the angels, and it matters to the God who sent the angels to these everyday ordinary shepherds that they would know that for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So in that famous announcement from, from the get-go, it's important that the shepherds understand that this baby is the Christ. And we don't have time to look at all the different scripture passages that I'm going to share with us this morning. But if you were to fast forward 35 to 40 years from this famous announcement to the shepherds, you'll find Peter and the other apostles specifically going from house to house to the Christians and teaching specifically that Jesus is the Christ. Acts chapter 5, verses 41 and 42. And then if you fast forward from there in Acts chapter 17, you find the Apostle Paul walking into a Jewish synagogue and teaching the exact same message to the people there that this Jesus, I proclaim to you, Paul says, is Christ. How about the start of the New Testament? How does the New Testament begin? The Gospel of Matthew. This genealogy of Jesus. Matthew in his biography starts. The New Testament begins with this human family history, dysfunctional, broken genealogy, human genealogy of Jesus. And at the very end of the list of names, Matthew says, Jesus who is born called the Christ. It seems to matter that this Jesus who is in this manger is Christ. But why does it matter to you? Why should it matter? That's what I want us to explore over the couple Sundays we're going to be together here in December. I want us to explore the importance of the meaning that this baby who is lying in a manger is Christ. And to start, I think it would be helpful for us to understand a little bit about his name, Jesus. So if you're in Luke chapter 2, scroll down or turn a page possibly to verse 21. So the shepherds come and they see baby Jesus lying in the manger. And Luke records in verse 21 of chapter 2, he says, And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus. And if you go, over, go back a couple pages potentially to Luke chapter 1 and the angel's announcement to Mary, Luke chapter 1, verse 30 and 31, the angel says to Mary, Do not be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus. Now, the name Jesus in the time period and in the place where Jesus grew up was a very common name. It was a common, everyday, ordinary boy name. 
Now, we know this because in the book of Colossians, chapter 4, verse 11, the Apostle Paul actually thanks a guy named Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 11, he says, and I want to say thank you to Jesus, who is also called Justice, because he was a help to me in the ministry. And we learn that that Jesus was a Jewish Christian who probably ministered alongside of Paul as a way to be a help to Paul in his ministry. Now, that might be somewhat of a shocker for us to hear. I can tell by some of you, really, Jesus was a common, yeah, it was a common ordinary name back then. It was his human name. It was the name that his friends would call him as he was riding the bus to school. I don't think he did that, but if he was, that would have been the name that they would have called him. It was the name that his siblings, his brothers and sisters would have called him. Mary and Joseph would have called him by the name Jesus. His friends, when they wanted to go out and play with him, they would have run up to his house, knocked on the door, and asked, can Jesus come out and play? That was his human name. His classmates, his teachers would have referred to him and called him Jesus. So it was an everyday, common, ordinary name. And it's actually the Greek version of the Hebrew name we get for Joshua. How many Joshes? Any Joshes here? One, two, three, four. There's four Joshes. So Jesus was a common name like Josh back in the day. It was a common, everyday, ordinary name. Now, in my high school where I grew up in Mount Vernon, Ohio, there, my name is a very common, ordinary name, Mark Jones. In fact, if you watched any football last night, one of the commentators, his name was Mark Jones. There were three Mark Joneses in my high school at one time, all different grades. A freshman, I was the junior, and a senior. So whenever the, on the loudspeaker, they would say, Mark Jones, please come to the office, and I don't know if they just did this as a joke, they would never specify which one. So all three of us, and I think it was a joke now that I think about it, would always end up at the office, super scared, wondering why are we being called to the office, right? So we'd all three walk in, seriously. You know, and two of us had the exact same middle initial, too, Mark D. Jones. Very common, ordinary name. Jesus, very common, human name. Why does that matter? Here's why I think it matters. I think it matters because it reveals that he's one of us. He understands. Because he's Jesus, he understands. It's his human name. He understands what it's like to go to school. He understands what it's like to have friends. He understands what it's like to learn a trade. He understands what it's like to, to learn to obey parents. He understands these things of what it means to be human. Because he's Jesus, he understands. Andrew and I were having a conversation this past week with a family from our house church, and we got talking about our families, our extended families. And after that conversation, it led Andrea and I to talk kind of about, about our extended families, kind of our family history. And between that family that we were talking with and our family, there's people in our family history that are alcoholics, that drug dealers, serve time in prison, um, adulterers, uh, I mean, just shady characters right, in our family history. And as you think about your own family tree, right, your family history, you wonder, does Jesus understand that? Does Jesus understand what it's like to be part of a broken, dysfunctional, human family? Absolutely, he does. 
Go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 1. And I want us to see this list that Matthew gives of the human family history of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. I mean, just go through and just kind of navigate through that list of names. Now, we, we think of Abraham, right, as the one who received the promises of God. But guys, he was a selfish punk. He, he, had, he actually lied that Sarah was his wife in order to protect himself so that he wouldn't get physically hurt because the Egyptians were, were coming and he's like, no, actually Sarah's my, my sister because he was afraid that they might kill. Abraham was afraid that the Egyptians might kill him, Abraham, in order to take Sarah, his wife. So he's like, no, no, she's my sister. To protect himself, he lies. How about Jacob? Yes, Israel, right? Liar, manipulator, cheater, How about David? Cheated on his wife with another woman, and in order to cover it up, he murders the other woman's husband. Got that in your family history? Maybe you do. I don't know. Jesus has that. How about Solomon, a womanizer? Right? Does Jesus understand what it's like to be part of a family that needs redeeming? Because he's Jesus, he understands. He understands. And it matters. This matters that he's Jesus because he understands. And it matters that he's Jesus because to me, in the sovereign plan of God, think about this. God in his grace reveals through Jesus' human family history that God can use broken, messed up, dysfunctional families and people to accomplish his great purpose. Amen? Because every family in here is broken, dysfunctional, messed up. Because you're in it. Because I'm in mine. But the arrival of Christmas should remind you that God can, in his grace, can use broken, dysfunctional families and people to accomplish his good purpose. And it's going to be through this Jesus, who we'll see in a moment, is called Christ that you do not have to be defined by your family tree or your family history. You can have a new name. You can be named after Christ and be called Christian. That's good news. So because he's Jesus, he understands, but that's not all he's called. If you go back to Luke chapter 2, as we saw, Luke chapter 2, 11... The angels announce, right, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, I, I think you know this, but just to be safe, Christ is not Jesus' last name. That's not his last name. It's actually a title. It's a title. So Jesus is his name. Christ is his title. And it's actually the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. So Messiah and Christ are like synonyms. In fact, if you were to go to the book of John, chapter 1, verse 41, John in his biography of Jesus records how Andrew runs to Peter and he says, we've found the Messiah. 
And John puts in parentheses, that is Christ, to just help his Greek readers understand who this is that Andrew's talking about. So Christ and Messiah are one and the same, all right? So just think it's important that we understand that. It's kind of like any Lord of the Rings fans here. All right, so Aragorn, right? He's known as Strider. He's got his elf name. Go have a fun time pronouncing that one, right? And, but he's got all these different names, but what's his title? Does anyone know his title? Aragorn's t- title, what is it? What? King. King of what? Or where? Gondor. Come on, guys, really? We need to watch Lord of the Rings together next Sunday, be here. No. So, yeah, he's High King of Gondor. That's his title, right? So, Aragorn, Strider, that's his name, but his title is High King. Jesus, that's his name, title, Christ. But what's that mean? It means anointed one. It means the chosen. And where does that come from? It comes all the way from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15. We first read about this anointed one all the way back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve have sinned. God confronts Adam and Eve, gives them consequences, and even confronts Satan, the enemy. And to Satan, he says this. He says, hey, listen, there's going to, become a, a, there's going to come a descendant from the woman, an offspring. And that descendant is going to grow up. And yes, you're going to bruise his heel, but he is going to crush you. He's going to crush you. And so that's the moment when God makes this promise to send a rescuer, an anointed one. And then he makes that promise and extends the promise to Abraham. He extends it to David. He he declares it through Jewish prophets. And so we read about this Christ, this anointed one coming. And that anointed one is the person that God promised to send that would crush evil and rescue his people out of their sins. And so Christ, anointed one, why does that matter? It matters because the fact that he's Christ means that God will make good on his promise. The Christmas is God making good on his promise. He's going to make good on his promise. The fact that he's called Christ should encourage you and encourage me because at Christmas when we celebrate the arrival of Christ, it's God reminding us, I'm going to make good on my promise. So those promises that are yours as a Christian, God will make good on those promises to you. How do you know Christmas? The arrival of Christ. When I was in junior high, I had a research project. And I had to go to the public library, which is just a couple blocks down from our middle school. And I told my dad, I said, Dad, can you pick me up after school? I've got a research project to do. I'll walk down after school. I'll go to the public library and can you pick me up? And school let out at 2.30, and, he, and we were like, yeah, I'll pick you up at 4. So school lets out. I walk down to the public library. This is before cell phones. Trying to get a hold of people was crazy, right, that kind of thing. You had to use rotary phone. If you even know what, Google it, all right? We've talked about this before. If you haven't figured out, it's like it's an antique all right, you can make a lot of money off a rotary phone probably today. So anyway, so I'm at the library. Four o'clock rolls around. I go outside, wait for my dad. He does a show. He's not there at four. 4.30, he's not there. Five o'clock, he's not there. Middle school kid, starting to feel a little nervous. And honestly, a little hurt. 
Like, Dad, I'm thinking, you promised that you'd pick me up at four. Five o'clock rolls around. No, Dad. 5.30 rolls around. No, Dad. And here I am, just sitting outside, waiting for Dad. 5.30 rolls around. I go into the public library, and I ask the lady at the desk, can I use your phone, your rotary phone? And um, didn't say rotary, but asked to use a phone. And back then, it was like trying to get a hold of somebody was not the easiest thing to do. You either called your house or place of work. So I called both, couldn't get a hold of my dad. And all this time, I'm thinking, Dad, you said you'd be here at 4. It's 5.30. It's getting dark. 6 o'clock rolls around, Dad pulls up. And my little 12-year-old, 13-year-old heart was broken. Yeah, he showed up. But he didn't show up at the time that he said he would. Listen, Christmas, the arrival of Jesus Christ the Lord, let it remind you that God will make good on his promises at the perfect time. Galatians 4 says, at just the right time, God sent his son. God will always make good on his promises to you and to me at the perfect time. And so the fact that he's Jesus, he understands. The fact that the one lying in the manger is Christ. God will make good on his promises to you. Let's unpack a little bit more about this anointed. Because the Christ means anointed one. Now, can anyone tell me, what was one of the positions in the Old Testament amongst God's people that received anointing? Does anyone know? Just give me one. Priest. What's another one? King. One more. Prophet. All right? So there were three offices or three positions in the government of God's people that received this anointing oil. And it was a specific kind of oil it wasn't used on everybody. It was only used on those three positions or offices, prophet, priest, and king. Well, what's a prophet do? Speaks God's words, right? He speaks God, God's truth, and he declares God's truth to God's people. And if you're reading the Old Testament, you have prophets. You have Elijah, 1 Kings 19, talks about Elijah being anointed. In fact, 1 Chronicles chapter 16, I think it's 22, God himself says to my anointed ones, my prophets. And so as a prophet, you were to trust what they said because they were declaring God's word to God's people. Priests, they were the go-between. They were the mediators, right? They would go between the people and God. They were the ones who would get all bloody and take the blood sacrifice, get blood on their robe, walk into the altar, the Holy of Holies, and they would offer the sacrifice to appease the justice of God over the sins of God's people. That was the priests, and they were the ones who were anointed. We read about priests being anointed. Um, Aaron and his sons, I think in Exodus chapter 30, talks about them receiving anointing. Then you have kings, right? They were the, the rulers, the leaders over God's people. And you read about Saul, the first king of Israel being anointed, 1 Samuel 10. You have David being anointed, 1 Samuel 16. Then you have King Solomon being anointed. So you had prophets, priests, and kings being anointed. Now go with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 4. Now keep in mind that those were three different positions lived out by three different people, prophet, priest, and king. Luke chapter 4, let's begin in verse 16. And Jesus came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, 
he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And I love this next part. It's like the mic drop, right? And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is like, I'm the fulfillment of the anointed one. I'm the prophet. I'm the priest. I'm the king. And if you go back to the angels, or yes, to the angels' announcement to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. What's that mean? It's God. It's Jehovah. So the angels are announcing that this Jesus who is wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, he is the Christ. He's the promised one. He's the anointed one. And he's also God. That's the part people couldn't get. They couldn't figure out that this Messiah that God had promised would actually be God himself. And so if this baby lying in the manger is God himself, then what's that say about him being prophet, priest, and king. He's the perfect prophet. He's the perfect priest. He's the perfect king. Why does that matter? I think it matters. Because if he's the perfect prophet, listen, you can then trust what he says. And if he's the perfect priest, you can trust the sacrifice he's made for you once for all. And if he's the perfect king, then you can trust him to lead you. It matters that the one lying in the manger is Jesus, Christ the Lord. He's the one you're named after. And because he's Jesus, he understands. Look at me. Everybody look at me. Because he's Jesus, he understands whatever it is you're going through. He understands. And because he's Christ, some of you think, God, are you going to make good on your promise? Because he's Christ, God will make good on his promise to you at the right time, at the perfect time. And Christmas should remind you of that. And because he's the perfect prophet, you can trust what he tells you. You can trust his word. And because he's the perfect priest, you can lean into his sacrifice on the cross for your sins once for all. Because he's the perfect priest. And he's the perfect sacrifice. And because he's the perfect king, trust him to lead you. Trust him to lead you. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So what now? I'm going to invite the band to come, and I want the rest of us to stand. And I want you to ask yourself, or actually not ask yourself, I want you to ask the Lord right now. 
where you stand. Say, Lord, what are you saying to me right now? What are you saying to me about you? (laughs) That you're Jesus and that you're Christ and you're the Lord. Just take a moment and just listen. What is he saying to you? Because he's Jesus, he understands what you're going through. Because he's Christ, he'll make good on his promise to you. Because he's the perfect prophet, just trust what he says. Because he's the perfect priest, you can trust the sacrifice that he made for you on that cross to forgive you of all your sins and to make you new. And because he's the perfect king, you can trust him to lead you. I want to remind us that this Jesus Christ the Lord is not in the manger. He is no longer in the manger. He is sitting in his kingly throne. And so when I ask the question, what now? I don't know of any other response other than to worship him. Like the wise men, to bring ourselves before him and to just worship him. But I want to read a passage of scripture that I think helps us see this baby all grown up for who he really is. Because he's sitting on his kingly throne preparing for his return. I want to read this for us. Because this describes our Jesus who is Christ the Lord. Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. Righteous And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, priest. And the name by which he is called is the word of God, prophet. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron king. And he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen? That's who's lying in this manger. And that's who's sitting on the throne. And he understands. And he'll make good on his promise. You can trust what he says. You can trust his sacrifice. And you can trust him to lead you. Jesus, we love you this morning. I don't know of any other response, Jesus, other than to just, to just worship you with my life, with my voice. Thank you. I'm going to invite the, those from the back to come forward and the rest of us to just cross the aisle. And let's just worship this King of kings and this Lord of lords, our Jesus, who is Christ the Lord.